Okay, so if you have Jeremiah chapter 23, this is called Sunday next before Advent. What is Advent? Well, some of you probably can give this talk, this first part is better than me, but, but here it is. Advent is four weeks of preparation. And the idea of the church is the church here starts next Sunday on the first Sunday in Advent. And next week, the emphasis on that we are to turn away from the works of the flesh, that we are make a deliberate decision and choice to godliness, knowing that as we choose the things of God, God's spirit and grace will help us to become more and more like Jesus. And if we're going to celebrate Christmas correctly and properly, we need to remember that the one who came 2,000 years ago, helpless in a manger, is coming back to judge the living and dead. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so the idea is we spend four weeks of preparation. So if you'll notice, we sing Advent hymns the next four weeks, but we don't sing Christmas carols. Now, I, Susie is my wife. She's one of those people, if she could, she'd have five sets of Christmas dishes. I mean, what's more obnoxious than that? I mean, I, mean, I guarantee you, I wouldn't even be surprised if she's already snuck a Christmas tree in our house. I mean, she's one of those people that is, and you're just like, wait. Uh, you know, our tradition, our family, is we got a Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. That's it. You know, we have a great time. But, but I mean, Susie, I mean, we, anyway, if you knew the boxes that we have, the materialism of Christmas things that we have. I'll confess for her this morning. No. So we're not anti-Christmas, of course, you know, all that. But notice that all the hymns and things that we sing are all about the coming of Jesus. It's not about that. So in the, you know, maybe 70 years ago, everybody in Advent only sang the Advent carols, Come, O Come, Emmanuel, all anticipation, okay, songs. And then at Christmas, and then for 12 days, you had the Christmas carols, ending with Epiphany, which you'll, we'll kind of do that uh, here, and you'll, you'll kind of get a sense of that a little bit if you're... Uh, you'd, you'd be surprised how many hymns are, are, the carols are Advent ones, but anyway, you'll know, if you're paying attention, you'll notice, oh, yeah, those ones are a certain way, and then the Christmas carols are a different one, and, and there's, that's all part of the development of things. So there's four Sundays. The first is to put away the things of darkness, and when we make the decision to do that and we look to the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit comes to us and helps us to grow and change. The second week, we focus on God has provided by giving us his word, so the second Sunday in Advent is Bible Sunday. And it's all about the importance that we're people who, who read, hear, listen, write, mark, inwardly digest the Word of God. And if there's a weakness, I and mean, I was raised Baptist, and I can tell you something, in the church I grew up in, there was no weakness about knowing God's Word. They taught us God's Word day in and day out. We, we weren't always filled with love, in my particular experience. We weren't always filled with joy. But they taught me the Bible, and I'm so grateful. If there's been a weakness in the Episcopal Church, in the Anglican tradition, in the last generation or two, is that they got liberal, they turned away from the Bible, they don't know the Bible, and, and, and God forbid that this congregation be a congregation who doesn't learn, read, listen, mark, inwardly digest God's Word. It is impossible to be a vibrant believer, follower of Jesus Christ, if we don't read God's Word daily, if we're not learning and inwardly digesting it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is the conscious, deliberate, and the first Sunday in Advent then it's knowing God's word. The third Sunday, and this is kind of the questionable one. It stumps people a little bit. The third Sunday in Advent focuses on God has given us ministers to help us. That people feel, I don't know why people feel so iffy about that one. That's a joke, sorry, okay. Uh, he's given us pastors and priests and people with gifts of teaching and equipping for us to grow and learn. And then the fourth one is, 
and this is my favorite, he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We experience him in communion, but we experience him in our heart and the power of the gifts. I, I, I mean, so we have this thing. So the idea is we're going to spend four weeks getting ready for the second coming so that when we remember the first coming, we do it with a heart that's purified uh, and pleasing to God. All right? That's the flow. But this is the Sunday next before Advent. What would be the theme of the day? Well, if we were in a Baptist church, and again, I was only Baptist before I was Anglican, so all my references are, are Baptist, and, and all my family's Baptist, so I'm not trying to be mean or something. But, so I'm, I'm kind of teasing a little bit, but we would say this is the Come to Jesus Sunday. All right, today in Jeremiah, if you put that up on the screen back there, uh, on Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, there is this very important text. And, and the text is telling us, uh, number one, that there's a lot of problems. And not only that, there's a solution. But we cannot prepare and be holy and get ready for the second coming so that we can glorify Jesus for the first one if we don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have to personally know him. Now, in the Catholic Church, they say, you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. John Paul II, Benedict XII, and Francis all teach that every Catholic has to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, we're not Roman Catholic, but I think that's extraordinary. I was raised in the 70s and the 80s, and, and I never thought I'd hear that the Roman Catholic Church is teaching the same thing that we taught in the Baptist Church. But it is amazing what's happening in the world today, where people are moving away from the truth, of faith and justification or salvation, Jesus, and not. But today, it is like Get Saved Sunday. Now, when we were in the Baptist church, if you got saved, you had to come forward. And you had to remember the day. I can't tell you exactly the day. I know I did it. I, I mean, I went forward probably, I tell people, probably 50 times, and that's probably conservative. Um, you know, I was kind of a naughty boy, I guess, in some ways. And so, you know, every time they... Every time there'd be a call, I'd be, uh-oh, I better, maybe I'm not really saved. If a minister said, maybe you're not really saved, well, I was jumping up there. I, I knew I didn't want to be in hell. I was ready. That's not really how we do it here. Here, you know, you come up here for prayer after communion, and we'll talk and pray, and we'll meet with you, and we'll tell you how to know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important until you, now, once you make that decision, then there's a lot of next decisions that are really important about being filled with the Spirit, learning and growing, learning the disciplines to grow uh, and become more, more like Jesus. But until we know Jesus, nothing could be more crucial. One of the knocks about the historical or liturgical churches like Anglican and Lutheran and, uh, uh, and Roman Catholic is that because we have the liturgical year and Advent and Epiphany and Lent and, and that we focus on all the doctrines of how a Christian should be growing. But we don't always make sure that the people sitting in the pew know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Let me assure you, at this church, we consider that absolutely essential. Okay? We do believe that God blesses the infant in infant baptism, but we say in our baptismal service, as well in our teaching, that that child has to come to faith for himself. The parents have a covenantal responsibility. They have a right to arrange a marriage between their child and Jesus, but the child has to grow up and trust in Jesus Christ for their Savior and Lord. I was down in Columbia with Mike Patz, and a lot of you have been to uh, what used to, I think of a First Assembly, but it's Greenhouse. And we were together down there on a mission trip, and we were in Bogota. 
This is, I don't know, 15 years ago. I don't know how long ago. Maybe it's hard for me to say. But in this trip, we were sitting there in the taxi cab, and we were talking, and Mike can speak Spanish, and of course, I don't speak Spanish. I eat Spanish. All right, we all have our gifts. So we're sitting there, and Mike says, uh, he's Roman Catholic. What do we tell him, Ron? If you know Mike, you're so funny. What do we say to him, Ron? So I said, okay, uh, Mike wants to, he's always wanting to evangelize. So I said, okay, Mike, uh, tell him, uh, he's sitting behind the taxi cab driver, I'm sitting on the other side. I said, all right, ask him if he remembers his baptism. Well, of course, no one in the Catholic Church remembers their baptism because you were an infant. But I said, well, ask him if he remembers, uh, you know, everyone goes for a party, goes to the baptism of their kids and their nieces and nephews. And, he, and the guy says, yeah, yeah, he, in Spanish, yes, with Mike, yes, I, I remember. And I said, remember how the parents promise in that liturgy in the Catholic Church, like we do in the Anglican Church, that one day that that child is given by the parents to Jesus and the child is required to trust in Jesus for himself. And it's right straight out in the service. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I've heard that before. And uh, I said, Mike, ask him if he's ever done that. Mike says, have you ever done that? The guy says, no. Now, you got to know Bogota. It's like 12 lanes of traffic going back. I mean, it, it, there's no apparent, I mean, in Bogota, a red light is a suggestion, <laughs> all right? I mean, there's a, I, I mean it, it, people are going in and out, you just can't believe what it's like, uh, and they don't seem to get an accident, so, you know, hey, but, but at the end of the day, Mike says, do you want, you know, you ha- have you done this? No. Do you want to? He says, yes, and so Mike praises him in Spanish, and he invites Jesus Christ into his heart to forgive his sins as Lord of Savior. As soon as he does it, he goes, Woo! And he turns around and starts trying to high-five us. <laughs> now, I was happy that he got saved, but I was afraid he was taking me home to glory early. <laughs> I'm like, let's go ahead and praise the Lord facing traffic. <laughs> look, it's crucial. It's crucial. So look, in Jeremiah chapter 23, we have this powerful thing. Uh, in the first 29 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, basically... The whole book goes through and reminds Israel of all of its sins. Can you imagine 29 chapters of failure after failure, rebellion after rebellion, bad, 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 judgment, judgment, 29 chapters. There's a few glimpses, just a little piece here and there. Uh, In chapter 5, in the first couple verses, God says to Jeremiah that he won't destroy them if Jeremiah can go in the city, go in Jerusalem, and walk all over. It's not on the screen, but in Jeremiah chapter 5, he says, you go through the city, and if you can find one righteous man, I will let him stand in the gap, and I'll judge him and let the people go, and not judge the nation. Jeremiah can't come up with anybody, and we can't come up with anybody today if we were looking today in our cities. So, with that backdrop, we come to this thing, and then we find out that the leaders, those people who are political and spiritual leaders, are fleecing the flock. Now, we have many sins in our church. We do not have a perfect church. But the one thing I can tell you, no one can accuse of, is fleecing the church. We're broke, all right? I mean, I hear about people asking for a new jet. I just want you to be sure, we don't have any jets. We're not against them. We don't have any vacation homes. We're not against them. All right? I, mean, I mean, but just so you know, we, we got problems. We don't, we're not the perfect church. But in that day and today, there are people who have turned the message of Jesus in some form or other into a type of transaction where people think by giving money to the minister or the ministry that they are going to get advanced, uh, that they're going to get blessed, and they've turned the gospel into a pyramid scheme. 
They're unjust in what they see, what they do, and, and what they say. This was the problem in Jeremiah. So we're told two things. I'm, I'm giving the outline, then I'm going to read it, and we're going to be done. In fact, when I'm done, I've already had communion this morning. I'm going to sneak into my office, take off my vestments, and go to the airport so I can go hunting tomorrow morning early. All right? Some people thought I would preach shorter, but I'm not giving, I'm, I'm hitting the whole thing, Don. Don't worry. All right? I'm not holding anything back. So, things are really bad. Leaders are corrupt, spiritual, physical. That's what Jeremiah says. But he says, but there's a good shepherd. There's a good shepherd. Not one like the others, but one that's truly good. And, and, that, and that God has provided. So in the midst of all this judgment and lists of sins and things that God's going to do, there's this promise in Jeremiah 23 that the day is coming where God will provide a good shepherd. And then, not only a good shepherd, he tells us that he's going to provide Yahweh, and again, I don't speak Hebrew, but Sidkenu, which is the Lord our righteousness, that someone's going to show up, and like Jeremiah couldn't find in Jeremiah chapter 5, that there's going to be this one who is going to be so righteous that God will be able to look to that one and forgive everybody else because the righteous, the one, will be enough to save the many, or the all who are willing. All right. Now, why do we need a righteous one? Well, first of all, there's two reasons. The first reason is because the leaders that we have are messed up. We need a different kind of leader, a different kind of captain, and this one, the Lord of righteousness, he's going to be righteous and he's going to replace the bad leaders. But the second reason we need a righteous leader is because we're not righteous. See, this is the gospel in Jeremiah chapter 23. We are a sinful and a broken people, and except for the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, manifest it in his perfect life and his death on the cross. There is no salvation or hope for us. God loves us. He cares for us. We've rebelled against him, though. He's made a way. He's provided the righteous one. And if we put our faith, those who put their hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. All right? And so in this proto-euangelion, early gospel, first gospel, we get in Jeremiah this message of a Savior. We, we can see the need. We know pastors in the church and the world's a mess. We can say, but we can't forget, we're also a mess. We need this righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ also, to stand the gap for us. Uh, and we, listen, you may not be able to remember, it was a Wednesday, June 22nd, 1964. You may not know a date, but listen, there has to have been a date. I mean, there has to have been a time. It doesn't just happen by accident. There has to be a deliberate time where you chose with your will to receive the righteousness and merits of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you have had to give yourself, in light of who he is as God, you had to give yourself to follow him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength for all of your days. Now, I did that, and I've you know, not been faithful. What do we do when we don't do that perfectly? We repent. We repent. All right, there's grace. What do we, one of the things we celebrate in communion is our ongoing need for the mercy and grace of Jesus, even when we know him as our Lord and Savior. Okay, for ongoing strength along the way. All right, and that's what we're going to do in just a few minutes. Now, let's just read it. It's, I think with that little bit of an outline... It's not going to be hard to follow. The wrong one. Here it is. I'm, I gave the, the one on the, uh, that was read this morning was King James, our new King James. This one is New Living. I just seem simpler uh, the way this was. So let's just read the first eight verses. I've kind of given it all away, but here we go. What sorrows await. This is God speaking through Jeremiah to the people, judgment. What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people? 
The more responsibility you have in the world, the more obligation. The, the leaders have betrayed their trust. What sorrow waits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Therefore, verse 2, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you for the evil you have done to them. Listen, no one's getting away with anything. There are a whole lot of people in churches who betrayed their trust. It's a serious thing. Very serious thing. Some of you have been crushed by churches, by priests, by pastors. And God is really upset. Uh, the most obvious thing in the world is to acknowledge that the church and leaders have not been the men and women that they were supposed to be. And we are so grieved. Uh, some of you have been so hurt, and, and, and it's going to take for someone like me, who's a pastor, a priest, or a bishop, to look you in the eye and say, I'm sorry. Maybe that minister's never going to say what he did was wrong. But I'll be glad to stand in that place and to tell you, I'm sorry. God is not pleased, and I'm sorry. And repent on behalf. Some of us, we need to see it, we need to hear it. Because it's been crippling. And, and, and it was crippling back then. And it's, in some ways, it's even more crippling to people who have the right message and have authority and gifts when they misuse it. Because the, the level of harm, uh, the better a person is in one sense, the deeper they can hurt you when they mess up and people really mess up. I was really, really hurt as a young boy in the church. I had a pastor who was just not a, uh, uh, he, he was not a good guy. And uh, I wasn't the only one. I wasn't molested, but I'll tell you, the, his lack of love and his meanness, and he presented God as an angry God who hated me. And my view of God for 30-something years was dominated by this voice that God was really, the way he, looking back now, I'd say, he made God out what really was the devil. He taught me that that was who God is. That's not. That God was angry, vicious, and, and he was just looking for any chance to slap me upside the head. That's the God he taught me, and that's not the God of the Bible. Some of you experience far worse things, and they really break God's heart. And, he, and, and just because they have the title or the name, uh, it, nothing is going to be upheld in heaven that didn't honor Jesus Christ on earth. Right? Meaning the church has authority to say, your sins are forgiven, your sins aren't forgiven. The church has powerful authority, but only in as much as it agrees with what heaven says. We're not independent agents where we can say, oh, your sins aren't forgiven. Hey, if you come with hearty repentance and true faith, your sins are forgiven. You're right with God. Whatever the, if the, you know, the minister has authority as long as he's echoing what God says. Soon as the minister isn't saying what God says, it means nothing. I mean, it hurts because they're in a place of authority. It hurts powerfully, uh, but heaven will never uphold an unjust judgment on the earth. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, they, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Now I will pour out judgment on you, God says, for the evil you've done to them. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I've driven them. I will bring them back to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful. He's repeating creation. He said they're going to they're be fruitful, and they're going to flourish and multiply. That's what's going to happen when the good shepherd comes and takes his proper place. 
I will, report, uh, I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they will never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the Lord, have spoken. For the time is coming, says the Lord. This is the second thing. There's a good shepherd coming who's come, and he's coming again, whom I will raise up a righteous branch or descendant. In Hebrew, it's a branch. And this is this Sidkenu, this uh, the Lord our righteousness, from King David's line, Messianic, of course. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. There's so much foolishness, but, but, but with this one, it's wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name, the Lord our righteousness. We need a leader like that, but we need that righteousness personally as well. And that's what the church wants us to focus on this morning. In that day, Judah will be saved because they're going to put their trust in him, and Israel will live in safety. Now, I wondered this morning, I wondered this morning if you have deliberately and specifically put your trust in Jesus Christ. You know, I've met a lot of good people who they, they love Jesus and they like Jesus and they want to be good Christians. And just like that taxi cab driver, they just didn't know they were supposed to do something deliberate and specific with their will. Just no one ever told that guy. Once I showed him that it was right there in the Bible and it was right in the Catholic liturgy for baptism and he could recognize it and he realized, oh, my parents promised me to Jesus and I was supposed to trust in him, but I never did. Once he got it, you couldn't hold him back. I got a feeling you wouldn't be here this morning if your heart wasn't open to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there has to be the deliberate and specific decision. Now, faith in the Bible, the great insight of the Reformation, is that faith is not grabbing a hold. That would be a work, and that would be work salvation. Faith, and the Reformers saw this in the most incredible clarity, faith is passive in this sense. Faith is opening up our hands to receive every good the Father has provided us in Jesus. It's receptive. You don't have to do something. You don't have to be good enough. In fact, it's precisely because we're not good enough that we need him so bad and he's so great. He came and died to save us because we couldn't get there on our own. But if this morning, if you've never done that, whether you put your hands out like this or not, I hope in your heart right now, you can keep your eyes open, closed, I don't care, but, but open up your hands of your heart. The Lord Jesus came to save you and to rescue you. And if you haven't done it, what a great day to do it. What a great day for all the dots to be connected. And I'm so sorry if they didn't tell you or you didn't understand. Uh, I was raised in church that told us this every single, every time we were in church, told us this. But so many haven't and they didn't realize. But what an opportunity this morning. So would you stand and if you want to close your eyes or keep them open, Lift your hands, close your eyes, I don't care what you do, but however you want to. Lord, we come this morning because it would be a shame if, if in this church where we focus on the church year and the doctrines and, and learning and growing, if, if there's people that we've not made sure that know your love and your salvation. Lord, where would we be without the forgiveness of sins? Lord, the anxiety and the fear of being punished and being abandoned by you, all this stuff that Lord, shifts when we begin to 
let you take the place of lordship and savior in our lives. So Lord, I've said it many times before, but this morning, once again, Lord, because your mercies are new and fresh, I say, yes, Lord, you are, you are my savior. I open up my heart fully, as best I know, and when you show me more, I'll continue to agree with you. I'm in need of your great love and salvation, and I receive it. I receive it, Lord. Wash me and cleanse me, heal me. Lord, I release my life like never before into the hands of the Holy Spirit. I've never been in this place before to choose surrender to you at this place and in this depth and in this way. But I choose it, Lord. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thank you for what it means that I know I've got peace because of Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, root us profoundly by the power of your Holy Spirit into this great salvation. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. And Lord, it's just a beginning. It's not an end, it's a beginning, but I thank you for this step. Now strengthen us, and, and Lord, we pray that this would be a place uh, when people come to know that we could help them to grow, to get solid in, in, uh, in the foundation of your word, Lord, and your ways, and, and how to pray, and all these things that we have to learn by doing it with other people. Lord, that's the kind of family and home we want to be, and we are, and so Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, send us many that need to be grounded in these things. Oh, pour out your spirit here, Lord, we ask. And we pray these things in the most wonderful, the most precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let's sing with Annie. Even if you don't know it, you can pick this one up.
Some of us, we're going home or people are coming home. Uh, and Lord, for many of us, it's sad. Jesus.